Albany, and welcome to the latest edition of the Albany Law School podcast. I'm Ben Myers, Interim Director of Communications and Marketing here at Albany Law School. Today on the podcast, we are speaking with 3L Pablo Jimenez, and he has a great resume. Other than getting his JD this year, he's also the Vice President of the Latin American Law Students Association. He's a Secretary of the National Lawyers Guild, the Albany Law School chapter, and he was recently named an immigrant Justice Corps Fellow, and he's planning on working at the Central American Refugee Center in Long Island. So just a great young man that we're going to be speaking with because the IGC's Justice Fellowship identifies promising lawyers who are passionate about immigrant rights, places them with organizations where they can make the greatest difference, and supports them with training and expert insight as they directly assist immigrants in need. And I've already spoken with Pablo. We record that part of the show before I do the podcast or the intro part here, and he's fantastic. This is a great episode of the podcast. I'm really glad you're here to join us. As always, before we get to it, though, make sure to check albanylaw.edu slash coronavirus. We are having constant updates about the virus here in Albany County, so please check that website out. Also, make sure to follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram. We have updates to everything happening at the law school there all the time. And if you like this podcast and you want to hear previous episodes, you can check us out on any of the major podcast services services or on our SoundCloud account. So let's add another chapter to the Meet the Student series and talk to Pablo Jimenez. Back here on the show with Pablo Jimenez and Pablo, just introduce yourself to everybody listening to the podcast today. Hi everyone, my name is Pablo Jimenez. I am a three-year law student. I just started my first last day of school today. I am also the vice president of LASA and the secretary of the National Lawyers Guild chapter at Albany Law School. And Pablo, thanks for joining us on the show today because I wanted to just start right at the beginning. There's some big career things that you have going on right now, but I'm going to get to them in a little bit. I want to start at the beginning though. What brought you to Albany Law School? So I actually first heard of Albany Law School uh, two years before I even applied. I had a coworker who knew that I was applying to law school she just happened to mention Albany Law School. Uh, she told me that she had a friend that went there and she just, you know, said great things about the law school. Kept it in mind. I did a little research on it, but, you know, I put it aside. Fast forward two years later when I was starting the application process, I really generally only was interested in applying to law schools that were um, either in New Jersey or in New York City. So I'm originally for Central New Jersey, so I really wanted to stay close to home. Back in my head, I kind of wanted to experience, you know, living outside of New Jersey. Albany Law School kind of crept back in my mind because, you know, the law school is really only three hours away from home. So it's not too far of a drive. So I said, you know, why not? I'll just apply, see what happens. And Albany Law School was actually the first law school to accept me. I came up to visit uh, when they had their acceptance students day. Got to experience what Albany and the law school is really all about. I had never been to Albany. It was actually the first time I was ever the furthest up in, you know, the States that I have ever been. On my drive up, I got to just see how pretty upstate New York is, all the nature, the mountains and all that. So that was one thing that really attracted me to the law school. But also during the, the presentations, you know, I got to talk to some of the professors and, you know, they just really sold me on the atmosphere that Albany Law School brings to students, atmosphere of just support to the student. Um, which I thought was awesome. That day actually was the first time I met Professor Rogerson. I'm not sure if she remembers that. 
but she came over to eat at a table I was sitting at with another student and Professor Brescia was also there. Just between the both of them, they just, you know, said really wonderful things about the law school. And he, Professor Rogerson happened to mention that there was an immigration law clinic. And, you know, knowing that I wanted to practice immigration law, that was pretty much, you know, what sold me on the law school, knowing that they had this opportunity available for me. So actually, I, I went back home and I, I think on my drive back, I just I made the decision that Albany Law School was going to be the law school that I was going to attend. And why was immigration law and why has it become such a passion for you? It, it really all comes down from my own personal history. So I myself am an immigrant. So I immigrated to the States when I was eight years old, um, along with my mom and my one older sister. Uh, my dad was already a U.S. citizen. He was already living in the States at that time. So he was able to apply for us to be granted citizenship. From day one, living in the States, I have always been surrounded by immigrants. For the first three years of my life here in the States, I was in a multilingual classroom. So, you know, I met people from pretty much all over the world. So, you know, I was always exposed to, to immigrants, the opportunity to try different foods, learn different phrases in different languages. I also noticed just how marginalized these immigrant communities are. And, you know, I myself lived in an immigrant community for pretty much all of my life. So I was aware of just the way that immigrants were treated in general um, by our government, essentially. Very early on, I knew that I wanted to do something. You know, I had this great opportunity. I had the chance to go to great schools. And so I, I remember wanting to do something with that, you know, not just work a regular nine to five where I'm not really making a difference. Community, you know, in an immigrant community, I decided the best way to really make an impact in immigrant communities was to be an immigration attorney and really work for people who otherwise wouldn't be able to afford an immigration attorney. And so that's pretty much what sold me on immigration law. It's what I hope to do as a career in the future. My ultimate goal is to become an immigration judge, uh, just because I really do think that we need diversity in the bench. You know, we need diversity in the legal profession in general. But I think one of the quick things that we can do to fix the immigration law system is just to put more diverse judges on the bench. Now, before you become a judge, you do have to be a lawyer. I know that. I know that. <laughs> but what does an immigration lawyer do? What's like a typical day in the life of an immigration lawyer for people who might not be familiar with it? Yeah, so I think people either have a very specific idea of what an immigration lawyer is or what they do, or they absolutely have no idea. And I think people that have that specific view, I think most people just see immigration attorneys as an attorney that's just going to help you apply for citizenship, you know, something simple like that, um, even though that's not really too simple. But immigration law is very broad. You know, an immigration attorney, you could work for a big business firm, you know, applying for business visas. So, you know, like if the corporation you work for wants to bring somebody over from China or somewhere else, you know, you need an immigration attorney that knows that system to be able to apply for a business visa for whoever you want to bring. The other side of the spectrum is, you know, humanitarian immigration attorneys, which is what I hope to become. And they really just, you know, work on people who are seeking asylum, people who are seeking special immigrant juvenile status, you know, people who are victims of domestic abuse, who lived here their whole lives and they want to stay here, but they don't have the legal status to be able to do so. So these are people that turn to these, you know, immigration attorneys who then help them 
and guide them through the process. Hopefully, eventually, they get them some sort of legal status to remain in the country. Okay, so let's get into the meat and potatoes of why I wanted to talk to you today. Let's talk about the Immigration Justice Corps Fellowship. I know that's a, a very competitive program, and you've landed one of the fellowships through that program. So can you tell me a little bit about what it, that program is, and then what it was like to apply for the fellowship that you're going to be working on? I first heard of the Immigrant Justice Corps, or IJC, as they're also known, through a Google search. So it was over the summer and I knew that I was going to be starting my final year of law school. So I was thinking ahead of what I was going to do, you know, after law school. So I went on Google and I ran a quick search. I typed in, you know, immigration attorney jobs and uh, humanitarian visas, because that's really what I specifically wanted to do. And that's what I wanted the results to bring back. And so IJC was actually the very first result on top of the page. So I clicked on it and I read through, through, you know, what they do, who they want their fellows to be, what, what is their main goal? I was sold like right away. I was like, this is exactly what I want to do. They help the people that I want to help. And not only that, they offer training to, you know, graduating attorneys like myself. So I was like, this is it. I need to apply. Really hope I get it. So I started my application process sometime in September. And so I reached out to Professor Sarah Rogerson and Julina Guo, uh, who's a staff attorney at the Immigration Law Clinic, who actually uh, was an IJC fellow herself for help. And they were very kind enough to, you know, look over through my application materials and just offer some guidance. So I submitted, you know, my application in October. Before I, I was told that I was going to be given an interview, I went on their website again I checked who their fellows were, who their past fellows were. In a way, I kind of like scared myself a little bit just because I gave a little bio of who their fellows were. And they also, you know, mentioned which law schools that fellow went to. I think IJC has a long history of really only choosing fellows who are from, you know, top 10 law schools, Harvard, Yale, NYU. And so I kind of sort of scared myself a little bit. I was like, well, are they going to choose somebody from Albany Law School or are they going to go with somebody that went to Harvard? And so I knew that I really needed to press them with my interview. And so I got an email sometime in November that I was selected for an interview. I very quickly reached out to Dean Fitzpatrick to set up a mock interview because, you know, again, I really wanted to impress them. And we had a mock interview. It was her and Professor Rogerson, and they both threw questions at me and really prepared me for the process. They offered great feedback. So fast forward to the day of the interview. It was a panel interview with three attorneys, and I was like just super nervous the entire time. I think that must have been the longest interview I've been in. It was about an hour long. It was a very surreal experience because I was, you know, pretty much just talking about my life, about what my experiences have been in this country and as as an immigrant, why I am passionate about immigration law, And I remember, you know, at the end of the interview, I kind of did what everybody else does. And I just, I replayed the interview in my head over and over. I was was like, so sure. I was like, I'm definitely not going to get it. Replayed certain answers in my head. I was like, that was not that great of an answer. Could have definitely thought of a better answer. So I was like, so positive that I was not going to get it. Um, So, you know, I went back to Google and I looked up for other jobs um, just in case. A week later, I got the email that I was selected to be a finalist. So essentially what a finalist is, is, you know, they select out of everybody 
and they only select about 24, I believe, people who interviewed to be a finalist. And it just really comes down to a matching process between the finalist and the host organization. And so the next step in the process after becoming a finalist was to just tell them where it is that you want to go work, uh, where you want to be placed for the next two years, pretty much the process of, you know, IJC. And where you ultimately were placed is Central American Refugee Center in Long Island. Is there a particular reason why that was the organization you wanted to work with? They, they gave us information on all of the organizations that were going to participate in the program this year, as well as, you know, contact information of the attorneys. So before I ranked my organizations, I, you know, did a lot of research into what type of work a lot of these organizations were doing. The Central American Refugee Center I ranked, I think it was within my top three. And the reason why I ranked it so high, and this was out of 24 organizations, so, you know, it was a pretty high rank. And the reason why I ranked it so high is because it was many reasons, actually. One, it's the type of people they work for. So a lot of the, the community around the, the organization in Long Island, there's a lot of Central American, there's a Central American community there. You know, there's a lot of Latin American people um, who have immigrated to the States just recently there. They're very much like the people that I grew up with. Um, you know, it's a very much, it's very much like the community I grew up in also. That, we you know, that was one reason that, you know, drew my attention to them. They also work with uh, special immigrant juvenile status cases. Essentially, it's working with juveniles who come, you know, through the border alone these are the people, specifically this type of group is, you know, the group that I'm most passionately about helping because I consider them to be the most vulnerable uh, population just because they're, you know, they're, they're young, they're children, essentially. They have just gone through this horrible, horrible journey from their home country up to the States. And now they're put in a system that they don't understand. They don't understand the language, you know, just it's just confusion for them. And I feel like they need the most guidance in the process out of everybody, just because they're in this unique category of immigrant. Another reason why I chose Caressen um, is because they do a lot of work with community organization. They do a lot of know your rights training, stuff like that. Before law school as an AmeriCorps member, which is uh, in, yeah, pretty much did a lot of community organizations. So I knew that I wanted to continue doing that as part of a career. And knowing that Caressen does that type of work is pretty much another reason why I chose to go with them. Now, of course, there's been a change in the presidential administration, and there's lots of changes that come along with those things. New directives and new orders are being put in place. There's no way we can cover all of that right here, just between the two of us and just in one podcast. But from your perspective, as somebody who's passionate about immigration law and is going into this fellowship, what are one or two major changes that you think people should know about because of this change in administration at the presidential level? Yeah, so I've actually been reading up a lot on what President Biden plans to do um, with immigration. One thing that, and it's huge, you know, that I think everybody should know about is his plan to open a path to citizenship to a lot of undocumented immigrants. So I don't know the specifics of the plan, but I do know that it's, I think it's about an eight-year process for undocumented people to eventually be granted U.S. citizenship. It comes in steps. Uh, first, they have to be given, they have to wait a certain amount of period before they're given their green card. And then they have to give, wait a certain specific time period before they're granted citizenship. But I think very important that that 
time period between when they you know apply for this and when they're given their their green card they are allowed they're given a work permit essentially what that does is that takes them out of the shadows essentially because when you give somebody a work permit you're pretty much opening a realm of possibilities for them it's very important for a lot of undocumented immigrants because you know having to live in fear every day you have to go to work is just a day you're in fear that you might be get you might get pulled over by police you know somebody might call you out on your immigration status you might get picked up and be deported and i think it's very important in that we are taking them out of the shadows because a lot of these people do want to contribute to the country if not all just think about like what the impact of having millions of people who were living in the shadows contribute to the country you know in tax dollars and you know employment how much that could greatly impact our country so that's one thing that i think it's great that the biden administration plans on doing is opening up this pathway to citizenship for undocumented immigrants another thing that he plans on doing is he plans on ending the the having to wait in mexico a lot of these people are coming from countries that are already violent and now they have to wait in a country that is probably just as violent as a country they left that treatment is just not not right because as you know you're you're keeping people in fear essentially is what what that program did so i think opening up the border letting them come in and await their trial is pretty much the best thing to do for them before we get to the lightning round, I did want to take one last step back here and talk about the Immigration Law Clinic. I know you're part of that clinic here in our Justice Center at Albany Law School. Can you just walk us through what your experience was like there? So it was actually a year ago that I had the opportunity to participate in the Immigration Law Clinic. Overall, it was just a very a great experience to have the opportunity to work for low-income immigrants. And not only that, to have you know the guidance of Professor Rogerson and Julina Guo at the clinic. It was just a tremendous experience. I got to work with people who definitely needed the help. The clinic was not around, they otherwise would not be able to find the help to be able to, you know, apply for what they were seeking. And also, you know, this this past semester I had the opportunity to work with a team of students who were at the clinic providing them with translation services. That was a very eye-opening experience because they were they were helping asylum seekers who you know were being held at the southern border in Mexico is very humbling because these are people who came here or want to come here you know to seek a better life and just hearing them you know tell their story of you know how they lived in fear in their home country and not only that how they were being treated um, in Mexico you know, as outsiders being forced to remain there, you know, while their their case is pending, very eye-opening. It definitely reinforced my view that, you know, our asylum laws might need some change, how a lot of immigrants are unfortunately treated as second-class citizens. Overall, the time I did at the Immigration Law Clinic was definitely very eye-opening, definitely reinforced my passion for immigration law, and it definitely makes me want to continue working on behalf of low-income um, immigrants. One last question here before the lightning round. Albany Law School is, pr- is very proud of students like yourself. And hopefully there are going to be many, many more following in your footsteps. But I just wanted you to maybe tell some of those students who are thinking about coming to Albany Law how Albany Law helped set you up for the success that you've been able to forge for yourself. It was very holistic, a very holistic approach that they took. 
I felt support from every single one of my professors that I've had. And not only that, I, I count myself to be very lucky uh, to be part of this class, this graduating class, because we all very much look out for one another. And I think that's just, you know, the general feeling at Albany Law School is that before law school, I always heard stories of like certain students are going to go to the library and they're going to rent out all the books that you need and rip out the pages or, you know, do whatever with the books so you can't use them. And that's not very much, that's not what Albany Law School is. We're very much a very supportive institution, both at the uh, faculty level and both at the student level. I've only felt, ever felt support from everybody at Albany Law School. And that's, you know, pretty much what set me up for success. That's pretty much what guided me through the process is just all the support I felt, um, you know, from professors and classmates, any prospective students are listening, just know that that's what you're going to find here at Albany Law School is just a very supportive community. All right. One thing that always gets a lot of support, though, is the Albany Law School podcast lightning round. Are you ready for the lightning round? I guess so, yeah. <laughs> right, here we go. First one up, we've obviously had like the weirdest academic year of all time, the most unprecedented academic year because of the pandemic. What's it like being a law student at Albany Law School during this year? It's been very weird, definitely weird. You know, having gone through my first two years, well, actually it was more like two and a half because the pandemic hit, you know, almost a year ago. That's pretty much what set the normal for me. All of a sudden have to change to remote learning and, you know, having to stay locked in my apartment. Just, it was very different to me. It was something that I was not used to. And it was very new, very, very weird, just overall weird. But I also think that the law school handled everything great, like excellent, like 10 out of 10. They knew how to handle the pandemic. Uh, They knew how to keep their students safe. They also made distance learning a great experience. Um, you know, they had to work with what they had, but I would say that every single one of the professors that I've had has been able to, you know, manage having to teach uh, virtually. Zoom was very weird at first. Um, just having to stare at your own face in the screen is very weird. Even though I sometimes catch myself just staring at myself in the screen is, you know, very <laughs> weird. But having one semester of virtual learning under my belt, it, it feels normal. It's definitely not something that I would continue doing. And, you know, I won't have to because I'll be graduating, but, you know, it's just not a real great way to learn, at least for me, but the law school really knew how to handle the pandemic very well. Professors were great with virtual learning, but yeah, overall it was a weird experience, but they knew how to manage it. What have been some of your favorite Albany law school memories so far? Cause you still have time to make more. Yeah. I would say definitely all of the law school events have to be ranked pretty high in my memories. First year, we had the multicultural cabaret, which is awesome. Unfortunately, we had to cancel that last year because of the pandemic. But that, yeah, I would say that's pretty much my best memory so far. A close second would be uh, last year, we held an event where we had a diverse panel of lawyers But not only that, we had a diverse panel of students, and I was lucky enough to be part of that panel where, you know, I pretty much talked about my experiences as a, you know, minority student in law school. I opened up myself to a lot of the students, you know, I mentioned things that, you know, a lot of students didn't know about me. But yeah, I would say, you know, those two are pretty much my best memories so far. 
we're coming up to your final semester here of law school. What is the thing you're looking forward to most in this final semester? Tough to say. I was really hoping that, you know, the whole COVID situation would be under control by now and we would at least be able to return to some sense of normalcy, but that's not really happening. But I will say that Vice President of LASA, we do have a lot of events planned for this semester. They should be great events almost certainly are great events. So yeah, I'm just looking forward to whatever we have in store for for the law school community. We always end the podcast with this final question. Is there anything that you'd like to say to the law school community, Pablo? First, I want to say thank you to all of my professors, um, to all my classmates and helping me past two and a half years. Definitely would not have been able to do it without them. But I also do want to say this, And I know that not every single one of my classmates is going to go into public interest law. It's completely fine. We each have our own calling in life. We each know what we want to do. But I do think that we were given this opportunity to learn everything that we'd have learned, an opportunity that not the average person has. I would encourage everyone, if you ever have the opportunity to help another person or help a community with the knowledge that you have, you know, definitely do so. If you have the opportunity to do pro bono hours, do so. If you have the opportunity to volunteer your community, do so. Because I do think that's very important, especially now that, you know, we went through the last four years of the, you know, the Trump presidency. I think we really need that now is just we, we need to look out for one another. We need to do the right thing always. Give back to the community that you're living in. Contribute in some meaningful way. Pablo, thank you so much for being on the Albany Law School podcast. We really appreciate it. Great. Thank you so much for having me.